Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. You know exactly what I'm going to say to start this show. You know exactly what I'm going to say. Look at yesterday's totals again. By the way, really annoyed with Chicago because uh, I, I did say I thought that game had a very slight chance to go over, but I believe my words were all that that over lean is doing is make, is giving me reason not to bet it under. And honestly, the fact that it got pretty much right to the number tells us we were kind of right. Because if Chicago had more than 11 free throws, if they kept that game even within striking distance, 32 combined turnovers between the two clubs, yeah, it would have gone over. It would have. The pace was there. Chicago had about 113 possessions, and they scored 100 points. Bucks were uh, right there, too. 113 possessions. So pace was 226 on that game. So the overlean was pretty right, and then it ended right on the number. Luckily, we'd just left it alone. And on game two, I don't feel bad about the fact that we left that one alone. We, uh, you know, what we mentioned on yesterday's show, just to kind of recap, was they finally adjusted the number up to 226. It had been hovering in the 222-223 range for pretty much the entire Warriors-Nuggets series. And game after game after game, the pace was in that 220 to 228 range. And so I thought, all right, well, they may have finally now taken the value out of the over, and sure enough, it went under. Teams didn't shoot as well. You saw a little bit of that, you know, we've seen all your actions kind of fatigue setting in, and this is what happens. Air series draw on. Now those two series are done, so, you know, you got that going for you. And uh, luckily, from a timing perspective, we're actually in really good shape because tomorrow's show... We'll break down uh, Memphis, Minnesota. That's the game on Friday. But then we can look towards new series actually coming up um, that I think start as early as Sunday, question mark. Saturday, you still got some game sixes going on for the first round. We can talk about some series prices because we should get a few of those coming up here soon. Milwaukee, Boston. uh, I think game one of that series is on Sunday and then we don't have the stuff that's coming after that, but we will pretty soon. And so tomorrow's show, we can talk some series prices. We can give you a little weekend preview. Today, we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about on the NBA side. We also are going to pivot back into a lesson learned today because I've been kind of stewing on this one a little bit, and I was worried that it it almost nuzzled too close to other lessons we've talked about. But, you know, it actually pairs pretty well today because we do have three games to talk about, get you guys set up for this evening. Philly, Toronto, Phoenix, New Orleans, Dallas, Utah, all of that is coming up tonight. And that means we can do a little bit of a, of a shorter lesson learned. And we'll get to that in a minute as well. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. Uh, I am your host, Dan Baspris. I realized halfway through saying the show name, I thought it came out wrong, but I think that was right. This is a sports ethos presentation. I am at Dan Baspris on Twitter. Those of you that didn't cancel your accounts when Elon Musk uh, bought Twitter... Would love to would love to have his followers. Um, Sports Ethos is at Ethos Fantasy BK. Once again, shout out to Joe Orico, who's hosting our Fantasy MLB Today podcast, and that is going amazingly well. I'm just floored at how many people are finding a baseball show on a, a side that had been basketball. 
Mm-mm-mm. Love it. Great work, Joe. You guys should check it out if you guys are playing fantasy baseball. I am in a free league just to sort of get my feet underneath me, and I'm using Joe's uh, social media at a great deal right now, so that's been pretty cool. Check that out. Let's talk playoff basketball. Philly is in Toronto, and it does seem a little bit like the Sixers are kind of kind of shook. Doc Rivers had that, it's not a rant, you can't call it a rant, but sort of a defensive answer when folks were talking about him blowing big series leads. Toronto was down three games to none. It's not three to two. And it's in Toronto, so not that it matters much in this series. No Matisse Thibault. He's been terrible no matter where they've played. Total on this ballgame is at 209 right now, open to 210, so it's down just a little bit. It's been kind of bouncing around a tad. Sixers are a very short road favorite, which continues to be a little bit of an odd thing, especially when you've seen the way the last few games have gone. Philly put up 88 points at home in that last ballgame. I mean, they were horrible. Best offensive player on the Sixers in that game was Danny freaking Green. I know Joel Embiid is dealing with a hand thing, so, you know, that's going to play a role. But Toronto managed to slow down the fouling a little bit. James Harden just doesn't have bounce left. And then Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris, those guys had kind of carried Philly through the first couple of ball games, and they haven't been there. Toronto's doing this without Freddie Van Vliet. Scotty Barnes is back. Pascal Siakam's been awesome. I don't know, man. Toronto's playing with confidence right now. The the tickets have been relatively split to this point. I think you're seeing a little bit of Raptors love that wasn't there earlier in the series. There is money coming in on the over, which surprises me a tad, given the last ballgame only ended at 191 points. Super low. Uh, but again, you kind of you got to look at pace, and it was it was an exceptionally slow ball game. Toronto only had about ninety six possessions. Uh, Philly had more, um, mostly because they missed a bunch of shots and were able to grab some rebounds on those. So it was kind of an artificially inflated more because Toronto out rebounded Philadelphia. Toronto had far fewer uh, turnovers in the ball game. And things, so it, it mushed over a little bit. I, I think Philly ended up with like 106, t- technically 106 possessions. But again, a lot of that was kind of, it was almost a mirage. I, I worry a little bit that the number is starting to inch too low. That last ball game was at 211. And of course, it went way under the mark. This one they've brought down now a couple of points. But... Again, when you talk about, you know, 96 possessions, 106 possessions, that that's a small number. 202. I think we should go back. You got you kind of have to look at the way that the series has unfurled. And the previous game, Philly had 107. Toronto had a bunch actually now and they were like 116. Uh but that was one of these what do you call it, a slightly higher paced game of the series they they've actually been a bit slower than that the game before they finished at 205 combined points that was a super high turnover game very high turnover game uh but about 210 possessions in that one as well so the the pace of this series has been bouncing around a tad i thought you'd see a really slow one in philly because the sixers were going to 
try to grind the game to a halt. Raptors probably want to speed it up a little bit. It's another potential closeout game, but I do think that once you get to a game six in a series, game six, game seven, things tend to really grind to a halt. So I would lean slightly to the under. I just, I don't know how it goes any slower than that last ball game. That was painfully slow. So there's not as much wiggle room here at 209 as there was that, you know, 212. But from a speed standpoint, it should probably inch towards the under. From a from an offensive standpoint, you know, Philly's going to be better in this ball game. You can't expect them to put up 88 points again. So they're just there's not a lot of wiggle room there. Slightly to the under, and I mean very, very slight. Second game on the docket tonight is uh, Suns in New Orleans. Phoenix is a two-and-a-half-point road favorite, which is actually kind of surprising given how, how well the Pels have played and you know, how the Suns have kind of needed everything to get over that hump. They were very good at home. Uh, I've been impressed with New Orleans, just to throw that out there. I mean, I, they've, been, they've been better than I thought they would be. Uh, last ball game had a total of 215 and a half. It ended at 209. But again, this has been this has been a series where teams have generally overperformed a little bit on the offensive side. New Orleans had a lot of free throws. They've consistently out-rebounded Phoenix, and it's led to that larger number of possessions. They had about 112 and then just dramatically underachieved because of turnovers and not good shooting, particularly from the perimeter. Phoenix was kind of the other side of the story. They only had about 105 possessions, but they overperformed because, as per usual, they've shot the ball well. Um, Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. So that put you away. What did I, what did I just say to you guys? I got to remember what I said. 112 on one side and 105 on the other. So 217 is about where that ball game sh- maybe should have ended if you were just going on possessions alone. And it went under. It went under by eight because New Orleans couldn't hit a three-pointer. The fact that they've brought the number down only a tiny bit, I believe, is odds makers kind of saying, look, we feel like we had it pretty close to right. And the pace is probably going to be in that same neck of the woods of between 210 and 218. And they kind of split the difference. And so now you're making a call not on whether or not the total 
agrees with the speed of the ball game. You're making a call on whether or not you think the teams are going to shoot well or poorly. It's another potential elimination game, which leads me to believe that the Pelicans are probably not going to take that many chances. It's going to be slower. It's going to be a bit of a slugfest. Suns know that on the road, they're going to have to be really stout defensively. And so I think they're going to try to slow it down and get the Pels into a half-court type of deal. So again, maybe a never-so-slight lean to the under, but a very small one again. And I do worry about those free throws at the end if it looks like the Pels are going to get eliminated. Uh, It's not as huge of a problem as I made it seem on the last couple of shows because the game kind of needs to be in like that four to six range just outside of one possession where the trailing team is going to foul. And then if they hit any shots, then they'll just keep fouling. It's not a huge deal, but it is something you kind of keep in the back of your mind. And then finally, back in Utah, that's a pick 'em. Pick 'em. Total of 210 and a half. That was uh, back on Monday. That was one of my favorite leans, was the under 212 and a half in Dallas, because the previous game, the teams had just shot the lights out. Well, they brought the total back down a bucket, and that's annoying because it does take a little bit of the sting out of it. And on the other side, Utah's not going to be that bad again. They shot 30, 37.5% from the field, didn't shoot their free throws well, hit only three three-pointers in the ball game. Rudy Gobert was fine offensively. Jordan Clarkson was actually okay, and then everybody else was just dog do. And the game was over early. The Mavs are going to keep it in the half court. That's going to be their goal. And as a series goes on like this, it's going to become more and more half court e. Teams are not going to be letting themselves get into a position where they give up easy buckets. It is the, the magic of the long playoff series. It's important to look again at pace. Utah had about 101. Again, we're sort of fuzzy numbering this a little bit, but about 100, 101 possessions in that ball game. Uh, Dallas had about 105, 106. So the total still uh, number of possessions was in the 206, 207 range, which, mind you, doesn't give us a whole lot of wiggle room under 210 and a half. In, and I expect Utah to play a lot better offensively. I could see this game ticking ever so slightly over 210 and a half, but I could also see both teams slowing it down even further to where 207 that pace might have actually been on the higher side. You might see this one end up more in the, like, 202 type of range, which, by the way, is not that far from uh, where one of the previous, like Dallas, I think, in that game in Utah where they put up 99 points. I'm pretty sure Dallas only had about 100 possessions. Utah had more because they didn't turn the ball over. And, you know, a few extra rebounds, a couple offensive rebounds, that kind of thing. So it was a little bit of an imbalance on the free throw side as well. Uh, But these games just continue to go slower and slower and slower. We may have hit the minimum speed, but if you think defense actually wins out... So, you know, that's the other problem here. Once you get to game six in a series, which is what we're looking at tonight in all of them, the total's gonna be tighter to the actual pace of the series being played. Oddsmakers oftentimes start a little bit on the high side, and then they have to bring it down. That's what we've seen in pretty much every series so far, with the exception of Warriors Nuggets. That one they had to move up at long last. And so some of the value does get yanked out by Game 6. But how much does it slow down? I'm inclined to lean ever so slightly to the under in all three games tonight again. But, but, 
if I'm laying my own money down on this type of thing, I probably just watch these games and then make my call on any potential game sevens. Now, if all three series get wrapped up, that's okay. That's okay. If you're betting and you really want to win money in the long term, you don't need to have action every night. Sometimes a game can be sort of, this is what I need to see happen, and I'll get in on the next one. I would love for all three games to go ever so slightly over and all three series to go seven games. That would be magical. Go over. Everybody just have a weirdly hot shooting night. So betters are going to come back and clobber the over in a game seven because they just saw it happen in a game six. And then we'll go heavy on an under in those. That's what I would love to see happen. I love for a game to create value bubbles for us moving forward which we've had in these playoffs. Dallas-Utah's done it mid-series. They had that big over game. That created a, a massive value bubble to the under. The playoffs as a whole, right from the outset, the regular season created a colossal under playoff value bubble. And, you know, maybe we'll get one of those again here, uh, moving from a 6 to a 7, but maybe not. Maybe they all wrap up, and that's okay. We'll just find something else to work on for the next series. So slight leans to the unders. I don't know who's closing things out. I don't I don't know. Do I try do I say this is the finally the time Doc Rivers doesn't completely soil himself here? Maybe. Maybe they win. Maybe the Sixers play better. Mavs are a better team than the Jazz, but the Jazz I mean this is a it's a winnable game for them. In Utah, why not? Pels could win it. They've done it before. Phoenix is missing their best scorer still. Anywho, I think these games will be slow. I think the totals are now pretty low and it largely have adjusted for the, the slowness of the ball games in question. But has it come down far enough? My, my answer is eh, probably not, but really you're, there's not a lot of value there. Real small. I guess you could maybe go under on all three and hope you hit two out of three of them. You're a little bit better than a coin flip on all three in that direction, I believe. All right, let's pivot into our lesson of the day. We don't have much promo these days. That's another reason the shows are running shorter. Uh, you know, other than me telling you guys to follow our, our baseball show. I really want you guys to check that out. I really want you to. This is a big deal. And we've got an NFL show coming. Man, I almost, I almost forgot to promo that. Uh, Fantasy NFL Today, which we did launch last year in kind of a limited capacity, is coming back next week in a much larger capacity. It's going to be three shows a week while we ramp up, and as NFL season gets closer, it's going to ramp up from that to even more. It's going to be awesome. JP has got it on lock. I've I've heard what he's done already. He's a brilliant speaker, an excellent podcaster. You're going to love it. So Fantasy NFL Today, Fantasy MLB Today, and uh, we're hoping by next season, Fantasy NHL today. I don't want to leave them out of the, the mix right now, but that's uh, not as imminent as the other ones. All right, lesson. Um, so I debated whether or not this lesson should get its own show because it's, it's not so much a lesson as it is an assessment of something that has continued to change in an unfortunate direction. But what we don't know is if there's ever a time it's actually going to kind of curl back the right way. But the lesson today, and again, you know, it's more of a lesson in the moment. We'll have to reassess. We'll reassess in September, frankly. 
But right now, right now, durability is as valuable as it has ever been in the history of fantasy basketball. There is no question in my mind that that statement is an accurate one because this year, of the players with legitimate fantasy value, which is basically like a top 150, sometimes higher than that, but we'll go about 150 deep, most of those guys, the average number of games missed this season for relevant fantasy players was between 14 and 15 games. Whoa! That's a colossal number. I mean, think about what that means uh, for a games cap league, for a head-to-head league. These are critical. And, you know, people get on my case because they say that I I overvalue the game played, even though I'm a big-time Roto games cap guy. And I think I've given enough qualifiers on this podcast say all right look once you get to like the fifth sixth round somebody missing 20 games is less of an ordeal because he wants someone you know Christoph Porzingis is a weird little example of this because he had another fantastic per game performance this year but he only played in 51 ball games so he's number 18 on a per game basis But, of course, he falls way down the board when you work by totals. He was at number 51, which, amazingly, is almost right where he was drafted. So he pretty much hit his ADP despite missing 31 ballgames. You might have drafted him in the early fifth round. He hit early fifth round value. But if you had him in a head-to-head, you know, if I told you he actually hit fifth round value, you'd be like, "Get get out of this world, get off this planet, don't talk to me. Dude missed games all the time, missed a giant chunk between when he was traded and when he finally came back to the Wiz, and then he sat out back to backs. He's an unrosterable player in head-to-head leagues. Whereas in a Roto Games Cap League, he actually was kind of a decent fifth-round pick. So you got these huge games from him, and then when he sat out, you try to scour the waiver wire for somebody who was rolling top 90 or better. We've done this discussion before. You got 51 Chris Stapses in your Roto Games cap, and then you got 31 whatever you could pick up off the waiver wire. You got 31 Kevin Herters or whatever player we want to throw from the you know the 110 to 115 range in there this year. You got 31 Dwight Powells's. I don't want to get into that too much right now because you know we'll we'll have a discussion probably leading up to next year. Maybe we'll even do a lesson learned on how to calculate a player's overall value. The lesson again today is durability has never been more important than it is right now. The guys that actually made it through the season got such an unbelievable bump in their overall value. Just an insane bump from games played this year. And it's not artificial. It's not artificial. Because the good players are so valuable. Let's take... I mean, we don't even need someone who played 80 games this year. Somebody who played in the mid-70s, which three years ago, remember the average number of games played three years ago, pre-COVID pretty much, was missing about 10. Now in this era of COVID, that number has grown by 50%. So somebody who played 76 games instead of 72, 
you could look at it like, okay, well, that's not making that huge of a difference. I might rather have the guy who plays 72 games because I feel like I can fill in the those extra four. Right now, somebody who plays 76 games gets, again, uh, you know, we're talking about eight games more than the average player. And we can do the math on this. You know, if they played 68 games, 76 over 68 is the math you're doing there. Uh, they're getting a 12% jump just in, in how they're playing games. 12% is no small thing in Roto or head-to-head. Now, I don't think I need to convince anybody that, that durability is valuable in head-to-head because if you had Jason Tatum on your team... And he's out there rolling up numbers that, you know, he finished at number 14. He's basically near the turn at the end of the year on a per-game basis. But 76 games played. Totals value, number five. Trey Young is basically the exact same story. Tyrese Halliburton, similar story. LaMelo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, similar stories. These are guys who had very good... I'd classify it as very good per-game seasons, but monumental totals seasons. Monumental. You know, get into that, that you know, Trey Young and Jason Tatum, they were in the top five. Halliburton was number seven. LaMelo Ball was number eight. DeMar DeRozan was number nine. Miles Bridges played 80 damn games this year. He was number 10. I know Miles Bridges was a great value because of where he was drafted. Same story for DeMar DeRozan so let's, and, and Halliburton. So let's take those three names off the board because they were a value even on the per-game side. But what about LaMelo Ball, who was basically hanging right around his ADP? He's number 21 per game all year long, but played in 75 ball games. Why does that make him such a valuable player? Playing in seven extra games vaulted him from a late second rounder to a late first rounder, and we've talked ad nauseum about how valuable first round values are in fantasy basketball. But it just changes the way you can build your team. When you have durability, specifically in Roto from your first four or five picks, in head-to-head, boy, I would, I would say durability almost all the way through up until you get to your streaming slots. You know, if you want to leave two or three slots at the end of your team that you're streaming, then obviously you can do whatever you want with those. And where you take those shots on draft day is, you know, whatever. But guys that miss games on your head-to-head, they create a headache beyond just the missed games. The headache is, what do I do with this player? Do I trade them? Do I drop them? What? How do I... How do I go week to week having a guy who's just not there enough? So I decree that on this lovely Thursday at the end of April, that while the lesson learned is durability has never been as valuable as it is right now, we've talked for a couple of years, really even before COVID, that I really think games played we should treat, it's not going to be counted in fantasy, but we should treat it in our analysis as the 10th category. At least right now. The problem with this lesson is when COVID goes away, does the average number of games come back up 
to 70, 71, 72. My guess is not all the way to 72. But it's going to have to be higher than 67. How could it not be? We had so many games missed to protocol this year. You can't just assume that all of those missed games are going to be replaced by actual injuries. Durability's value at that point will decrease. It'll still be important, specifically on the head-to-head side, but less so on the roto side. Because all of a sudden now, this same argument that we're having at this exact moment, Jason Tatum, I want to use him as an example because I really liked him this year as a draft pick, and it paid off at least partially because he played. He played. I don't need to say more than that. It paid off because he played. On a normal year, pre-COVID, Jason Tatum, if you drafted him at 7 or 8, if he ended up at number 14 by averages and played in 76 games, he probably would not beat his ADP. I guess then today's lesson almost becomes a two-parter, but I'm rolling them all into one show. Lesson number one is right now, as long as COVID protocols are in place, and I have every reason to think that they still will be, even if you know different cities are lifting vaccine mandates and things of that nature, I'm not counting that in this discussion. I'm talking about if someone tests positive, they are out until they test negative twice. Symptoms may get lessened, as new variants emerge, or if it's new iterations of Omicron, fewer, fewer people will actually catch it. There may be additional booster shots that players can take to where they become less susceptible to getting the virus again. Measures will probably happen that diminish the impact of COVID on the NBA season. But I really, I mean, it's the end of April. It's May Zach Levine just went into protocols. People are still getting it. I know Omicron's not, you know, it's so far down now than where it was two and a half months ago, but I don't think it's going to be gone to where they'll just start letting dudes play with it. You know, it's not going to be like a cold or the flu in the NBA for 100 years. (laughs) NBA hadn't been around that long. It's not going to be like, oh, so-and-so is just feeling under the weather, so they're not going to play tonight, and they'll play as soon as they feel better. That won't be the case, because if one dude has COVID and it remains as contagious as it has been, then the whole team's just going to get wiped out three days later. They'll all have it, and, you know, three guys, the three dudes that are asymptomatic, they'd be able to play, but that's not enough. You need eight. And the NBA doesn't want to postpone games. The way they do that is by continuing to keep these positive cases quarantined. 23, 24, maybe, maybe it's gone. Maybe we're not worth thinking about it by then. God, I would love to not be thinking about it. I would love it. But for this particular discussion about the durability element, I think it's still going to be around. And I don't know how many other little baby tweaks they can make to the rules to get players back quicker. I think the hope has to be that there isn't this colossal surge that knocks out a third of the NBA in the wintertime next year, and instead maybe it's a smaller bump that knocks out like 10% of the players, and so then the average number of games played, maybe that comes up from 67 to 69 or something like that. 
Maybe that's too big. Maybe it just goes up from 67.5 to 68.5. I don't know. I don't know. I'm guessing right now based on what I think might happen and what we're sort of seeing just in general trend lines. Point is, I believe for at least one more year, durability should be on your board. And I know some guys are durable and then they're not, and then the opposite also happens. But there are track records and there is a percentage element. We talked about this in one of our lessons earlier. You can make relatively accurate guesses on who might get hurt and who might not on a season. Yes, guys that are often healthy have unhealthy years. Guys that are often beat up have healthy years. See Joel Embiid, who, by the way, still missed 14 games this season, but that's a big success, so I don't want to knock that off the board. Um, But, you know, Cat was back to mostly playing his games this year. But then there are guys like Tatum, like Trey Young. These guys play. Jokic. And there's, you know, a lot of guys that are just sort of neither. They generally play an okay number of games. Those guys are neither durability, durable nor not. But if you can err on the side of mostly healthy for at least one more season, I believe you'll see a really nice bump and it'll help you get off to a quick start. Your guys are playing their games at the beginning of the year. It'll help you get off to a quick start. It'll help you create that opportunity to pick up stash guys, to hold a guy in your team if they do get hurt because the rest of your team isn't completely beat up and out of whack. COVID stuff, you can't account for it. Everybody's going to get hit with it at some point. You just have to hope for a little bit of luck. But in terms of actual injured games missed, 10th category will continue to be on our board for at least one more year. I have a lot more I want to say on this topic, but we'll save it. Tomorrow, Friday's show, we're talking playoffs. That's our weekend playoff show. Thanks for listening to another week. Uh, Off-season episode number 14. Boom! In the books. I am Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Sports Ethos, that's the spot. Go check out our sister shows for baseball and next week football. You'll be happy you did. So long, everybody. Have a great Thursday. We'll talk to you tomorrow.